in February of 1942, as Japanese forces tightened their grip on the Philippines, President Roosevelt ordered Douglas MacArthur to relocate to Australia. So on the, on the night of March 12th, MacArthur and a small group of people, including his wife, his uh, son Arthur, his, their, some of their family attendants, as well as some of the leaders of the Philippines and uh, some of the military leaders, um, traveled in four patrol torpedo boats to the southern island of Mindanao. And there they were met by uh, B-17 bombers that flew them to Australia. It was a dark time for the Philippines. <clears throat> they had looked up to MacArthur. MacArthur had organized their forces, trying to defend them against the, uh, the, the Japanese invasion. In fact, he was already recognized as a hero of sorts. Not a, not a hero of sorts. He was he's recognized as a hero. Um, the president recommended that uh, he be given a Medal of Honor for the work that he had already done. And uh, General George Marshall, in fact, wrote the text of the Medal of Honor. And this is what the text said, for conspicuous service or leadership in preparing the Philippine Islands to resist conquest, for gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty in action against invading Japanese forces and the heroic conduct of defensive and offensive operations on the Bataan Peninsula. He mobilized, trained, and led an army which has received world acclaim for its gallant defense against a tremendous superiority of enemy forces and men-in-arms. His utter disregard of personal danger, under heavy fire and aerial bombardment, his calm judgment in each crisis inspired his troops galvanized the spirit of resistance of the Filipino people and confirmed the faith of American people in their armed forces. MacArthur became the first <clears throat> to receive a Medal of Honor, um, the first son to receive a Medal of Honor, whose father had also received a Medal of Honor. And uh, Douglas MacArthur was... Um, was looked up to by the American people. In fact, he was voted that same year as Father of the Year, 1942. This was the text that he stated, the statement that he gave after being voted Father of the Year. He says, By profession I am a soldier and take pride in that fact, but I am prouder, infinitely prouder, to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build, but a father only builds and never destroys. The one has the potentialities of death, the other embodies creation and life, and while the hordes of death are mighty, the battalions of life are mightier still. It is my hope that my son, when I am gone, will remember me, not from battle, but in the home, repeating with him our daily prayer, our Father, who art in heaven. It was in a train station in Australia that Douglas MacArthur first gave the speech in which he said these words, I came through and I shall return. At this point, the Philippines were completely occupied by the Japanese. 
And the Japanese, uh, the Philippines, Filipino people were looking for hope. They were looking for uh, some future, what their future would hold. And when they heard that MacArthur had uttered these words, I shall return. In fact, he, he, I came through and I shall return. In fact, this gave hope and it inspired confidence that he indeed would return. You see, MacArthur had such, uh, such respect in the world, not only in America, but also in the Philippines, that um, when, when MacArthur said, I will return, I shall return, the Filipinos said, he will return. We will have freedom once again. He will come back and, uh, and, uh, and, and give us our freedoms. In fact, the Filipino people today still uh, respect MacArthur probably more than, than almost any other, even Filipino hero. Um, they love Douglas MacArthur. When I used to travel a lot to the Philippines, um, I lived in Arkansas, I grew up in Arkansas, and all I needed to do to raise my stock with the Filipino audience was to remind them that I came from Arkansas and so did Douglas MacArthur. Uh, in fact, one time I was in MacArthur's boyhood home in Little Rock, and um, I met the, uh, the, the Korean ambassador to the United States. He and his entourage were, were coming to tour MacArthur's home, because later, of course, as students of American history will remember, world history, I suppose, uh, MacArthur <coughs> got in a little bit of a struggle over the defense of Korea and how we should handle the, ja- the Chinese, and... Um, Truman actually removed MacArthur from, um, from his position. And uh, the result was that Truman suffered the lowest approval rating of any sitting president in, in American history. Uh, MacArthur was so popular that they felt this was a political move and not, uh, not an expedient one. MacArthur had kept his promise, and if you go to the, the little village there on the, the, the Leyte uh, Landing Memorial Park, it's a national park in the Philippines, and there you'll see these bronze statues of, of MacArthur and his, his fellow leaders wading ashore. The, 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 the battle was still going on, and he asked for a landing craft to bring him from the, the, the landing vehicle to the, to the shore, but they were so busy that they didn't have time to bring him. So he said, I'm going anyway. And he waited. He jumped into the water and he waited ashore along with his men. And um, when he got on the shore, he had this to say. Um, really quickly, I'll go back to the last slide. He said, this is what he said. He said, people of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of the Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. Soil consecrated in the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control over your daily lives and of restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. Can you see why people love MacArthur? He was not only an able general who had sacrificed much in the defense of his country. In fact, when he was called back to give his farewell speech in front of, in front of Congress after he was... After he was um, after he was removed from power, it had been the first time that his 13-year-old son had ever been to the United States. It had been some 37 years since he and his wife had stood on this continent. So busy had he been in defending the interests of uh, freedom and America around the world. And so this was a man who had sacrificed much, and when he made a promise, he kept his promise. But today we're talking about a different promise keeper. 
Today we're going to be talking about one who is the promise keeper of promise keepers. Any human illustration of a promise keeper falls short when we compare it to the the promise keeper that we find in Jesus. We're going to look at why in just a minute. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, I just want to ask that you would help us today. You would help us to remember that while there are, there are heroes of courage and, and faith and, and strength in our past history, no matter what nation we come from, we have heroes that we can look to. There's a greater hero still, a hero that surpasses all nationalities, all cultures, all politics, a hero that is truly the promise keeper. Today, as we continue our study in the life and the meaning of Jesus, I pray that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit to teach us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture today, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 20, 20, uh, 19 and 20, um, talk about how Jesus is a promise keeper. And this is how some of the translations of verse 20 read. It says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's the New International Version. The English Standard Version says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. You see, my friends, God has promised to us many, many promises. In fact, if we look in our Bibles, we can find promises from Genesis to Revelation. Many of them. Many of them were spoken by the prophets. God speaking to the prophets gave us a confidence, gave us some promise in, in, in what God would do in and with and through and for us. Many are spoken by Jesus Himself as He gave promises, such as this in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Your, your uh, Father in heaven who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus said to the disciples in John 8, 31, 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Promises of Jesus. John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's a promise, a promise of Jesus, more abundant life. John chapter 14, 12 through 14, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, Jesus gave promise after precious promise to his people. And what does it mean when it says all the promises of God are yes in Christ? What does that mean? What is Paul trying to say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as he writes this letter to the believers in Corinth? He's trying to tell them something. What is it that he's trying to say? He's trying to say that Jesus is the promise keeper. Jesus is the one in whom promises are fulfilled. They are yes and amen in Christ. I want us to take just a few moments to take a little bit of a a Bible study on this phrase, in Christ. Sometimes it's referred to as an in Christ motif, and there's various theological um, implications, I guess you might say, of this. 
Um, I think you'll see where I, how I understand it in just a moment as we look at what the Bible says. What does it mean to be in Christ? You see, all the promises of God are yes in Christ, and they are amen in Christ. What is this talking about? Is this talking about all promises of Jesus all, are going to be fulfilled for all people? Does it, does it mean that everyone will receive all the promises? It's actually expressing to us a wonderful, but a, still a very restrictive condition as to who the promises are fulfilled for. I want us to look at this at what the Bible says. I want us to just take a couple passages. Paul particularly is very clear in his use of this phrase, in Christ or in Him. And we notice a couple of things. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in is just a preposition, but it's a locative preposition, right? It shows us our, our location. And it says the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So those who have life are in Christ Jesus, those who have the gift of eternal life. Let's see if Paul makes it even more clear. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So how can, does Paul define those who are in Christ? Well, there's no condemnation, right? That means they've been forgiven for their sins. They walk not by flesh, or not by, uh, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So these are not, it's not that Paul is saying everybody's in Christ. He's saying there are some who have chosen Christ who who are in Christ. This is, a, this is a willful choice that we make to be in Christ. Let's talk about it a little more. Let's see what else Paul says. Therefore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. All old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We continue on. There's other verses that we can see in Paul's writings. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, when we are in Christ, we have the precious promises that are absolutely certain and sure. Now, if we claim the promises without being in Christ, that's what we call presumption. Do you understand the difference between faith and presumption? Faith takes God at His word. Presumption says, I'm going to claim this promise even though I don't comply with the conditions. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not covered by this promise. Um, you see, it's like, it's like when Satan, tempting Jesus, took him up into the high place of the temple and told him to throw himself down, just jump off the temple, and, and, um, because the promise is given in the Old Testament that, if you, um, that he will send his angels, he'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. See, that's a promise. Now, is that promise talking about, about trying to intentionally hurt yourself? No, it's not. You see, that would be presumption to claim that promise when, in fact, it's talking about something very different. And so, so God says, look, the Bible is telling us, look, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. If you want to know where all the blessings are, they are where? In Christ. If you want to know how all the promises are going to be fulfilled, how are they to be fulfilled? 
in Christ. They're all yea and amen in Christ. We continue on in Ephesians and chapter 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, most people are familiar with Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, um, not of works, right? Lest anyone should boast. But verse 10, immediately following, says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared that we should, beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is how it works, as I understand it. When we are born, we're, into, we're born into the family of, of humanity. We're born into the family with a fallen nature. We're born with a rebellious ancestor as our representative. We call him the first Adam sometimes. He's the one who decided, I'd rather do it my way. God said, don't eat of the fruit, but I'm going to eat of it anyway. He's the one who decided that Eve was more important to him than his relationship with God. You see, that's the family we're born into. But thankfully, Jesus came, and he, as we've noticed in the last few weeks, is the very embodiment of God. He came to reveal God's character. He came as God to die, remember, God's character is a, is a character of unselfish love. The only way that God's character could be revealed by Jesus would be if Jesus was God. It would not be a character of unselfish love for God to send His Son, who wasn't God, to go and die. It's only a revelation of God's character if God, who is the King of Kings, Himself dies. Do you understand the difference? And so Jesus has come, he has, he has died, He's raised again. We haven't really studied about that, but He is the resurrection and the life. He's the firstborn of the dead, the, the only begotten of the grave. He's the one who became the first fruits of all who will be raised again in the last days and, and saved for eternity. And so Jesus becomes the, the one in whom all of our hope of the promises to be fulfilled centers it's all in Jesus because He is the one who has made it possible. He is the one who has, who has gone to the heavenly places as our high priest who stands at the right hand of the throne of God, the New Testament teaches us, so that He can, he can be our representatives, our advocate before the very throne of the potentate of the universe. He is the one who is beseeching on our behalf all, of go all the good gifts that God can give us come to us through Jesus. He is the one who is the medium through which they flow. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So when we choose the service of Christ for the in exchange for the service of Satan, when we say... Lord, I don't want to live as the spiritual descendant of the first Adam who was rebellious and selfish and ate the fruit because he wanted it for himself. When we instead say, Lord, I want to live as a descendant, a spiritual descendant of the second Adam, the one who, who lived and died in my place. When we are allowing him to recreate in us a new heart, if, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's a miracle of divine grace we call conversion or the new birth. Amen? When that happens, we now become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that's where all the blessings are. That's where the promises are fulfilled. Oh, friends, God does wonderful things for those who don't follow Him. Don't get me wrong. 
He's not out there just to say, I'm going to curse you if you don't love me. I'm going to bless you if you follow me. Remember, God's is a character of unselfish love. So God wants to bless all of his children, even the ones that are slapping him in the face, even the ones that are keeping him at arm's distance. God is a God who wants to bless his children. But not all the promises of God are yea and amen, unless you're in Christ. Unless you're in him. Let's, let's look at a few more verses that we can see this truth being taught. Um, we look now at, um, at a passage in, um, in, in John chapter 15, Jesus himself teaching, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides where? Abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Um, he goes on in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Yes, yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found where? In Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, obedience, trying to just do it on my own by obedience, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith. Is it becoming clear to you who is in Christ in a spiritual sense? It's those who have chosen to live for Him. Those who have accepted His, His, His justification and we no longer have condemnation. Those who are abiding in Him because we've accepted Him as our Savior and we will stay in that abiding relationship with Him. Colossians chapter 2 Paul just expounds and expounds and expounds on this. We could spend all morning just talking about this phrase in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him, where? In Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. Don't you like that phrase? You're complete in Him. You want to be complete? There's something missing in our lives when we're not in Christ. You are complete, it says, in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Oh, what a wonderful wonderful Savior we have. So we notice here that no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? They are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. This morning, I want us to just look very briefly about at why Jesus is qualified to be the promise keeper. Take your Bibles with me. Let's just look at a few passages together. And um, we're going to we're going to see why Jesus is the promise keeper. Let's start in John chapter 14 and um, verses 1 through 3. Now, I, I think this should be self-evident, but sometimes I wax philosophical. And um, the first reason that Jesus is, a, is the promise keeper is because he is the promise maker. Now, you can't keep a promise you don't make, right? So this should be, just should be in, in, intuitive. But um, it's the fact that if Jesus wasn't making promises, he couldn't be the promise keeper. And in fact, he has made promises. And the New Testament is full of promises of Jesus to us. We read here in John chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, we're living in troubling times, are we not? 
Aren't we living in a time when the world's hearts, uh, men's hearts are failing them for fear? The world, even people in the world know that we're living in an unusual time of Earth's history. We are. Nature itself is out of order. We don't have ideas of what's going on. We can't predict the weather. We, we have no idea what the next disaster will be. There's something going on in civilizations, in nature, in people's hearts. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, I'm thankful that Jesus is a promise maker, aren't you? I'm thankful that Jesus gave us precious promises such as John 14, verses 1 through 3, where we can say, look, I may be going through all kinds of difficulties here on this earth. I may be going through all kinds of trials, socially, economically, physically, my health. There's all kinds of difficulties that we are going through because we live in a world that has fallen. But we also live in a world with a promise maker. We live in a world where there's someone who says, I am able to save you from this world of sin and suffering and to take you to where I am. Because there, my friends, with Jesus, there's no sin and suffering. For all of eternity, there won't be sin and suffering. Oh, I'm thankful for Jesus as the promise maker. But there's another promise that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that Jesus is uh, not only the promise maker... He never changes. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Look with me there. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. We're not going to spend a long time now. Uh, we just want to see what God's Word says. God's Word is powerful. Amen? My Word is just human words. They fall flat on the earth and they can't accomplish anything. When God speaks, it has creative power. So we want to see what God says. And we want, to, we want to read his word together here this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. And this is talking about our very subject today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, my friends, there are people that make promises and they probably really mean what they're saying when they make the promises. The problem is that we as human beings are sometimes fickle. The problem is that I, as a human being, I'm sometimes fickle. And I could really mean what I'm going to say, but sometimes I, I don't, later on, maybe I regret what I said. You understand what I'm saying? There's one thing you can be absolutely confident of, and it's why Jesus is qualified to be the promise keeper. You can be absolutely assured of one thing. Jesus never changes his mind. Where he has promised to bless you, he will bless you. You can count on it yesterday, you can count on it today, you can count on it tomorrow, and no matter how much time passes, no, long, no matter how long we live here on this earth, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he is uniquely qualified to be the promise keeper. Number one, because he makes promises, precious promises. Number two, because he never changes his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number three, why is Jesus uniquely qualified to be the promise keeper? And that's found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. 
And this is a, this is a, a precious promise for us as we think of, we, we, we think of, uh, of, of Jesus as the promise keeper. Philippians 4 and verse 19 says this, But my God, or some translations say, And my God shall supply how much of your needs? All your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now here it starts off talking about God. Now I think it's very clear. I, I, we, we've studied this in the past. We believe that Jesus Christ is indeed um, God. He's the creator God. He's a part of the, the, the Godhead. Now here we find very interesting. This says, my God, Paul says, my God will supply all of your need. Now we could spend a whole, a whole month probably just on this one passage because the story is that the Philippians... Uh, the Philippians were so concerned about supporting Paul that even when he was no longer in Philippi working as their mentor and pastor and teacher and, and discipling them in their following of Jesus, when Paul left, the Philippians said, well, we're still, we still want to support your ministry so you can bless other people. And they would send their gifts, their tithes and their offerings wherever Paul was. The Philippians in Macedonia, this is among the group from the Macedonians who were supporting Philippi. It's found elsewhere in Paul's writings. And you notice if you skip back a few verses that um, he, they, they said they, um, in verse 10 he says, "...by rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opp- opportunity." The reality was these people were giving more than they could even afford to give. Because they loved Paul and they loved the ministry that he had had in their lives. And they were giving and, and they were giving and they were giving. And, and Paul says, listen, you've given more than you're even able to give. But I know one thing. When you give to God, you're not going to suffer. Like David of old said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've not seen the righteous lacking or his seed begging bread. God, my God will supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus is the promise keeper because of this, friends. In His position at the right hand of the throne of God, He has access. He has the ability to just confer with His Father and say, you know, Chester needs this this morning. Should we give it to him? The question is not, do we have it to give to Him? Because they have everything. According to His riches, what's that? How do you measure the riches of eternity? How do you measure the riches of the God who... I mean, we try to illustrate it. Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the the saying goes, the Scripture says. Cattle on a thousand hills, that's that's weak. Jesus owns the hills themselves. Jesus owns everything. There's nothing that God does not have access to, the resources of heaven, of omnipotence. You see, God has infinite resources. And as we see these infinite resources, we recognize that there's nothing that we can need that God cannot provide. Amen? There's nothing that we can ever come against that God does not already have an answer to. You see, God is never caught by surprise. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the future. Read about it. Isaiah tells us. There's, there's no God like me. I can tell the end before, the, before it happens. I can write history books before it occurs. And so if he knows the end from the beginning, he cannot be surprised by the things that we need. 
He already knows. He's already had a way provided for us. Oh, the Father and Jesus have a thousand ways to provide for our needs that we haven't even thought of yet. There's no resource that he cannot, he cannot, um, he cannot compel to be used in our benefit. You see, Jesus is the promise keeper because he's the promise maker. He's the promise keeper because he never changes, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the promise keeper because he has infinite resources. So anything that he says he can do, he has the resources to accomplish. But next, he is the promise keeper because he's already invested in us. Now, I want us to just think about that. Maybe this is a human illustration of why he's the promise keeper, but we're humans, so it doesn't hurt to have a human illustration. You and I, when we, were, when we invest in something, we recognize afterwards that we already have a commitment to it. Does that make sense? So when you go to buy a house, they don't say, okay, do you like the house? They say, okay, put some money down, right? You need to put some money in escrow so we know that you really are interested in the house. You're already invested in the house. It's not just words. It's, it's actual action. It's actual money. It's actually something from your pocket to our pocket. And this, is, this is an escrow. This is a, and the bank even wants you to make a down payment, right? And then they know you're really committed to the house because you've got all that money that you might lose. And so you make a down payment. Well, humanly speaking, we would believe someone keeps the promises, their promises, if they are invested in what they've promised. Does that make sense? And Jesus, my friends, is fully invested in us. Just look at this, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 31 and 32. Romans chapter 8, um, 31 and 32. Notice what it says here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, how do you know if God's for us? Well, this is how you know, verse 32. For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us how many things? All things. This is what Paul's saying. Paul says, look, if you want to know that God is for you, you only have to look to Calvary. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we, that is phrased in the, in the terminology of God the Father, God, uh, God, the, God the Father. But I want you to recognize that Jesus came willingly because Jesus loved this world too. God is one and His character is one. They, they, they agree on what they, what they do. And so if God so loved the world that He gave, let's also remember that Jesus so loved the world that He willingly came, that He laid down His life for us. And this is the point that Paul's trying to make. Look, if God has invested already this much in you, won't He give you anything else you need? You see, there's, there, there's nothing more valuable. We talk about all of the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We talk about all of the resources of omnipotence, all of the, the, the riches of heaven, God having everything at His disposal to give us to supply our needs. But there's one thing that's the most valuable thing in heaven, and that's God Himself. How can anything be more valuable than the life of Jesus, God's Son? How can anything be more valuable than, than God the Creator Himself coming down and saying, I'm going to be willing to give my life in place of your life? And if God was willing to empty all of the riches of heaven and give it to us in one gift in Jesus Christ, do you think He's going to be willing to give us 
anything else we need? It'd be like someone saying, you know, I really like that. Um, I'm going to buy this Bentley, you know. And I'm going to put down the, what, 500000 or whatever, this, this Bentley or Royce, White, Royce or whatever it is. And then and the shop saying, yeah, you know, we should probably, it probably needs a new tire. No, I'm not going to put $100 in a tire. Would that make sense? It'd just be, it'd be, it'd be nonsense, right? It, to buy a car but not, not replace a missing spark plug or something, you know? It would just be nonsense. And Paul's arguing on this line. He's saying, look, God has already given us the most valuable gift he could ever give. He's already invested in us. Jesus laid down his life. If he was willing to do that, don't you think he's willing to answer our prayers for what we need today? Lord, I need, I need you to work in my life. You think he's interested in that? Of course he is. He's invested in you. We couldn't put a dollar price tag on it. Millions or trillions, gazillions, it would be too small for the value Jesus has placed on your life and mine. And so when we, when we pray to him, it's not something that doesn't interest him. It's something he's very highly invested in, you and me. And so he says, I'll give you whatever you need, but I need you to be in me. In me, you're standing right there next to the throne already. In me, you already have at your disposal all the riches of eternity. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. The last reason why I'll share this morning that I believe Jesus is the promise keeper. Number one, because He's the promise maker. Number two, because He never changes. Number three, because He has infinite resources at His disposal. Number four, because He's already so incredibly invested. Number five, because he's highly motivated. When we go to court of law to try to prove someone guilty or innocent, one of the thing that one of the things that the lawyers try to do is they try to establish motive, right? There's no reason for them to have accomplished this crime. There's no reason for him to have stolen that $5 candy out of the supermarket because his bank account is, you know, whatever. And when you establish motive one one way or the other, it is helpful. Well, one of the reasons I think that we can trust Jesus as the promise keeper is because his motives are very clearly outlined. Notice with me in in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. um, I'm sorry, verse 38. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. uh, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is the point that I want to make to you. The reason that we can trust, this reason that we can trust that Jesus is the promise keeper is because He loves us. He wants to be the promise keeper. He's motivated to be the promise keeper because, and, and Paul just, you can just sort of see Paul writing this. Can, 
you know in those days they had to use like a little quill or some sort of a feather, I don't know how they use it, but they had to dip it into the ink, you know? And I can just imagine Paul writing this. Can, can you see him waxing eloquent and he's just getting more and more excited as he's trying to find words to describe the incredible love of God that nobody can separate us from? And, and, and he, I can just imagine him writing and he can't write fast enough. with those. He's dipping and writing and, and he's, just, he's just trying and trying to get across to us the fact that God's love is so great and so surpassing. I am persuaded neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, the reason that Jesus is the promise keeper is because Jesus loves you and he loves me. He's the promise maker. He has... The character that never changes. He has infinite resources. He's already invested. But maybe best of all, he loves you. It's not something that he did philosophically, theologically, 2,000 years ago on a cross. Jesus loves you in 2015, September 19, 2015. Me? You might say. Yes, you. It doesn't matter if you're a little child or in grade school or middle school, high school. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're what, what you look like, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter if you've been good or bad. Jesus is the promise keeper because he loves you. And he loves you with a love that nobody can ever separate you from. I want you to know that that love is a love that has a commitment to freedom, right? So you could separate yourself from at least your awareness of that love. But, but even if in, 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 in some unfortunate reason, your own choice, you are not saved in God's eternal kingdom, I want you to know that his everlasting love will still have an ache in his heart for you. You don't have to be an important person. Jesus made you the way you are. And you hold a special place in his heart. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to experience his promises. All of them. He wants that joy to be full, that life to be more abundant. And all of that can be accomplished through him and in him. All of the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. I think back to those words of Douglas MacArthur's speech. I think of his statement when he said, I came through and I shall return. And I can't help but think that those words are even more fitly spoken by someone who loves you. It wasn't a politician. It wasn't a broker of power here on this earth. It wasn't someone that used forces and, and, and might and arms and death and destruction. It was someone who suffered so that he could have that right to say, I came through. I came through the cross. I came through the grave. I came through and I will return. This morning, are you thankful for that promise keeper? You thankful that Jesus is coming again?
No matter what we're going through, he says, I came through. And I, can't, I will come again. I will make everything right. You'll be with me where I am. Father in heaven, tonight, today we just thank you that we serve a God who is a promise keeper. Today we thank you for Jesus, who is not, not like an ordinary promise keeper. He is the promise keeper. Because he's the promise maker. Because he never changes. Because he has infinite resources. Lord, because he's already invested. Because he loves us. Oh, Lord, help us to respond to that love. Help us to choose to be in Christ. To abide in him. To walk in him. To live in him. To be that new creature that only you can make us by a miracle of your grace. Nothing that we do can ever change our heart. Oh Lord, and if we're in Christ, help us to just have absolute, utter, unshakable confidence that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. We thank you in his name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.